greeds from the Twin Falls Church of the Nazarene. And uh, this is a family service, I was told. So is there any chance I can get some kids to come up here and help me as we begin this morning? Any kids willing to? No. Uh-uh. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay. We have a few. Come on up a minute. And uh, I just need a little bit of help this morning to kind of get us going. It's great to have kids in the service. I mean, when you walk into a church, this is the life of the church, right? This is the generation. So, okay, you guys can wave. Yeah, you, you guys have done this, right? All right, awesome, awesome. Okay, um, well, what I need you to help me with a little bit is, have any of you guys ever played the game um, Two Truths and a Lie? Anybody familiar with that? Uh-uh, uh-uh no? Okay. Um, we're going to do Two Truths and a Lie, and, and in a minute I'm going to tell you three things about myself and you're going to try to guess which one is the lie, all right? But maybe help us out here a little bit. Can you of you tell me what is a lie or give me an example of one? Anybody willing to tell me what's what's a lie? What's a what's a lie? Um, I like I like to steal the peanut butter. Oh, oh, something about the peanut butter. Okay, <laughs> all right. Okay, give me five on that one. All right. Okay, thanks for being truthful. Now, right? Okay. Yes. Awesome. All right. So a lie is something that's not the truth, right? Okay. All right. So I'm going to tell you guys three things, three things. All right. And you guys see, uh, try to guess which one isn't true. All right. You guys good? Good about this? All right. Here we go. So first thing about me is um, my family likes to play board games. And one of our favorite games is Ticket to Ride. Right. Another thing about me is I have a favorite food. It's a little bit weird. All right. But my favorite food is liver and onions. Yum, right? Okay. My third thing about me is in second grade, in second grade, I learned to twirl the baton. I'm not even sure you guys know what a, do you know what a baton is? Yeah, okay. All right. So those are the three things about me. Which one do you think isn't true? Which one? The which one? The second one, the food. Oh, these guys are right. Give them a hand. Woohoo! You are right. You are right. I hate liver and onions. And you know what my parents used to do to me? They would, they would, my sisters and I, they would serve us liver and onions or liver, and they'd say it was steak. They would try to trick me into thinking it was steak. That is just really bad, right? Really bad. So, okay, I have one question for you here, a couple. Um, should pastors lie? Uh uh-uh, uh, right? Right. Should should kids lie? No. no. Okay. How about our parents or, or adults? Should they lie? Uh-uh. <laughs> okay. They shouldn't. They shouldn't, right? Because even in scripture we know that the truth is what God wants us to do. So in Psalms it says, Whoever of you loves life, do you guys love life? Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> Good. All right. <laughs> and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil evil, and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. All right? So today, we're going to be taking a look at the story in Genesis. So I guess you guys have been studying that for a while. We're going to go back into Genesis and look at a story, a little bit more of Jacob and his family. But I want you guys to listen for something, all right, while you're, you're here today. I want you to listen for the big lie in the story. Can you do that for me? The big lie in the story. Listen for it. All right. Thanks for helping me out. Give them a hand. Nice job, guys. I'm sure all of us at one time or another um, have lied. Um, Have lied. If you have never lied in your whole life, bless you. 
you have a great self-control. You have self-control of a giant. But there are times in our life, I'm sure, that we have um, said the little, you know, not true. As a kid, a lot of times I would tell a lie in the sense of I didn't want to get in trouble, right? So, okay, make sure I didn't get in trouble, so I'm going to lie about it. And I will tell you that when I did that, it was always worse for me. I don't know about your mom, but my mom, she was like the truth Nazi. She knew when I was lying to her. So uh, as a kid, we, we do that sometimes. Even adults sometimes, we lie because we're not wanting to get into trouble. So men, um, we know when your wife or your girlfriend comes to you and she says, honey, does this dress make me look big? We know who you are really protecting when you say, no, honey, not at all. You're just lovely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or perhaps from one mom to another, it might be a mom comes up to you and she says, hey, could you keep my son, little Johnny, you know, tomorrow? I need to go do some errands and I'm going to be gone all day. And the other lady might say, oh, uh, you know, I think I have a root canal plan for tomorrow. And whether the root canal is real or imagined, we know that the root canal will be far less painful than the eight hours spending with little Johnny. Sometimes adults lie to get out of trouble, too. Whatever our motivation is for lying, I think, though, we can all agree that straying from the truth does have a way of marginalizing relationships. And oftentimes, it creates a void of care and compassion for others. Within our culture, I'm sure each and every one of us could cite several big lies that, that do this to relationships and then also fly in the face of God's purpose for his love for us and for this world. But when people buy into a big lie, more times than not, someone does get hurt. Maybe yourself or others, people groups, someone gets hurt. A case in point that tends to be always in front of us in the media, women, is the beauty industry. Women especially are told that to be loved and valued and cared for, we have to buy into the lie of we have to look a certain way. I came across a tip, though, ladies, that I just want to share with you this week, and it was um, eat chocolate so that you don't have wrinkles. I love that, right? Yeah, right? Because what 10-year-old do you ever see eating a Hershey's bar that has crow's feet, right? Yeah, I love that one. But we are told that lie, especially as women in our culture, that you have to look a certain way, you have to dress a certain way. Is it true? Is beauty everything? No, it's not. Another example in our culture of a big lie is what it takes to be happy. The biggest pickup truck is what will make me happy. The newest iPhone, that's what will make me happy. And they tote happiness as a commodity rather than a choice that we can all make. And, and I will admit, I find myself too gravitating at times towards that which I think will fulfill me rather than Christ. Sometimes I, I gravitate towards this is what I really need, education or my family, marriage, my, my children, the job, the ministry. Those are the things that, that's really important. And none of those are inherently wrong. I mean, understand that. But we must be careful that it doesn't become our sole identity, your one reason for living. This year, my husband and I experienced empty nesting. 
And, and it really kind of hit home as to how much I had, had put into and had, had given to my children all those years, how that had become sort of my identity. Mom was my identity. Our youngest son was a freshman this year at NNU, and we had a rather big house, and that house really seemed empty most nights. It was a, quite a life change for both of us. We would, uh, I would often buy you know, a gallon of milk and it would go bad sitting in my refrigerator where I never had before with three boys. And, and I found myself wondering if I should just adopt another child rather than buy less milk. <laughs> what big lies have you bought into yourself? Perhaps they were forced on you by others or your own acceptance of the world's standards rather than God's. What big lies have you yourself bought into? And to, tell, to help us with that this morning, we are going back into the book of Genesis, and in particular, the story of Jacob and his family. I mean, if you've been looking and, and watching that story as, as it unfolds, as your pastors have uh, given that to you in the last few weeks, it's just amazing. I, I love Stephanie and Tommy. What dynamic speakers. You guys are so blessed to have such good pastors here. And last week, as I was listening to Tommy's service, as his sermon, and, and he was talking about Jacob, the hustler, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of right where we're going to start again a little bit. And, but I want us to look at Jacob's family, not just at Jacob this time, though. I want us to look at one of Jacob's wives, and his wife Leah in particular. Leah, whose life was forever and unrevocably touched by deceit. So, to give us a place to land, let me fill in just a few details for you. Remember who Jacob is, son of Rebekah and Isaac. And at this point in the Genesis narrative, he has left his home family. He's left his heritage a little bit because some things went a little bit south for him. He tricked his uh, brother Esau out of the, uh, the inheritance, and then he tricked his father to give him the blessing. So, so Jacob is a hustler. He uses motivation and, and lies to, to get what he wants. And so at this point, Jacob is leaving the family home under a little bit of that duress. And his father says to him, go find a wife. Go find a wife among our family. And so Jacob does that. He travels to his uncle Laban's family to find a wife. Wife. And I know that may be a little bit squeamish to us, you know, the idea of kissing cousins, all right? But, but it was something that happened there in Bible times. So Jacob goes to inquire after some um, women in Jacob's family that he could marry. And, and first he meets Rachel. Rachel is uh, taking some sheep to water, and, and he first meets Rachel, and, and he's enthralled by her. Then as Scripture goes on, we are later introduced to Laban's other daughter, Leah. And scripture expounds on both women's attributes. It says this, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said to Laban, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. <laughs> kind of an interesting passage, right? The scripture says, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel, ah, ah, now, now Rachel, she had great eyesight. Is that what it says? 
No. Sadly, I, I think that the scripture, it's, it's, it's comparing whether or not Leah, it's not comparing whether Leah wore glasses and Rachel didn't. It's introducing the reader to two sisters. And we're immediately drawn into their differences over a man and physically, their physical difference, their competitiveness. Leah in this passage, sadly, is, is named the ugly duckling. And Rachel is named the beauty queen. Jacob then works for seven years to win Rachel as his bride. But on the night of the wedding, a treacherous exchange is made. And unbeknownst to Jacob, Leah, the older sister, is told to take Rachel, the younger sister's place, as Jacob's new wife. It was kind of like a shell game. Have you ever seen that? The ball is placed under a shell and moved around until you think you know exactly where it is, and then the person lifts it up, and it's not there. Instead, it's over here. That's exactly what happened that particular night. Leah stood in for Rachel, the big lie. We are then told by Laban that Jacob, oh, he should have known that he could never marry the younger sister Rachel first because it was not the custom of their family. And then he offers Jacob, well, finish this daughter's Leah's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> Laban was much like Jacob. He knew a little bit about the hustle. But it was a poor ploy to harness Jacob into another seven years of free labor and a poor excuse to make sure that Leah was wed despite her weak eyes. Somehow in declaring Leah weak of eyes, a worth is placed on Leah, unjustly and ridiculously based on her looks. Laban, her father, allows this injustice to take place, and thinking that the only way he can marry off his oldest daughter is to trick someone into it, he himself buys into the lie of beauty. We don't know, but did Leah want to marry Jacob? We're not privy to her desires. We're also not, no, we don't know if Rachel wanted to marry Jacob. Because according to the culture of that day, each woman would have done what exactly her father had told her to do. But can you imagine being Leah and forever the substitute? That which replaced what was most coveted and wanted. And in the aftermath of Laban's lie, can you imagine how Leah felt forever? The substitute. As an associate pastor, I could relate to being the substitute. I frequently cover for my own pastor on hospital visits when he's gone or board meetings or preaching. And in fact, recently one of the parishioners at our church posted this to my Facebook page. Can it, will it go up there? I'm thinking, did they get it? No, maybe. Is Eric? Oh, did it? <laughs> Is it up there? It's shut off. Oh, okay. Well, we'll, will it come up or shall we go on? Okay, well, if they bring that up, um, yeah, she, was, she thought it was really funny to uh, put an so, associate pastor joke on there. So they come up. But, but here's the question. Kids, have you ever had a substitute teacher? 
No, no substitutes? Anybody had a substitute at school? Yeah, a few of you have, a few of you have. And, and the question is, do you treat them differently than you do your other teachers? No, not so much? Okay. <laughs> do we believe them right now? <laughs> when I graduated mid-year from NNU, I spent the spring of that year substitute teaching in the Nampa School District. And uh, I did it to bring in a paycheck and pay my bills. But I remember one day substituting during the fifth grade field trip. I got the distinct pleasure of taking care of kids that didn't get to. Oh, is it now there? There we go. The minister's a sub. Yeah, so we're all going to sing the wrong hymn. Pass it on. <laughs> Hilarious. So that particular year, as I was subbing in the school districts, uh, the fifth graders, the ones that couldn't go on the field trip, they'd either done something wrong or they hadn't finished some of their homework, I got to take care of that day. While all the other fifth grade teachers, they took those other fifth graders out to the park. Well, you uh, must understand that fifth graders, when they are stuck in a classroom that's hot and stuffy, while the rest of their classmates get to go to the park, they're not a very happy group of kids. And uh, many a joke was played at my expense that day. And uh, let's see, what else happened? There was one fist fight that broke out. Some spitballs flew, tears galore, mine and others. And I was never so glad to hear the bell ring at the end of the day. A substitute. And Leah, forever the substitute. Rachel was the one that Jacob had a yearning for, but instead he received Leah. How fair was that to Jacob? How fair was that to Leah? An ancient rabbinical commentator who imagines the conversation the next day between Jacob and Leah once the switch was made. Jacob says to Leah, I called out Rachel in the dark and you answered. Why did you do that to me? And Leah says to him, your father called out Esau in the dark and you answered. Why did you do that to him? And if you know the story of Jacob, you, you might say this is Jacob's just desserts, right? He had deliberately disguised himself as Esau to, to get the blessing. He went to great lengths. He, he put fur on his body. He smelled like Esau. He, he gave his father meat like Esau would do. Jacob lies about his own identity to receive something that was not his. The evil Jacob had done coming full circle as Jacob sees what it is like to be manipulated and deceived himself. But Leah... Leah, for all we know, had not done anything to deserve the pain inflicted on her. The shame of it all. All Leah wants, in, in my estimation, is for someone to love her and accept her. Yet we find out through scripture that Leah is unloved, unappreciated, forever the substitute. And we hear her disappointment, her pain, as we turn to today's text, Genesis 29, 31 through 35. Genesis 29. 31 through 35, it says this. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. 
Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Can we ever make someone love us? Leah, the substitute, cries out to God for her husband Jacob to love her. And we know through scripture that Jacob loves Rachel more than he loves Leah. And it's not just a woman's intuition. Deceit and lies have created a fissure, a tear in the very fabric of their relationship. And Leah sets out to make Jacob love her by providing the only thing women could in those days, children. And Leah places a great importance on that. The children become her currency for love. Leah gives to Jacob what she considered was a great treasure and what the the time dictated to as a great treasure, children. Yet she still finds herself short of gold and riches, that which she truly desires. Leah puts her hope in the love of a good man and the wealth of having sons only to find out that she is still treated like a substitute. How often do we ourselves hit a wall in situations very similar to Leah's? Maybe we work hard in our jobs. We try to create the market share. We please uh, do everything we can to please our boss, yet we never seem to be the one considered for advancement or, or the race. Perhaps we continually reach out to our friends for kids, asking friends over for a play date, or, or adults asking people out to coffee or to your house, and no one ever seems to reciprocate, though. Maybe the marriage is crashing. Whatever I do, I just can't seem to please her. Whatever I do, I just can't seem to please him. I want to be respected. I want to be loved. Yeah, the big lie was Jacob expecting Rachel and receiving Leah. But the really big lie was what Leah then believed about herself. That the only way to love and acceptance, to value, was to produce children. Her culture gave her this toxic Kool-Aid to drink, and drink it she did. She says, surely my husband will love me now, (laughs) when she named Reuben, meaning see a son. She echoes the sentiment when she named Simeon, which means God is listening. When Levi is born, his name means connection, and she declares, now at last my husband will become attached to me. I realize We're talking about childbirth here. And I apologize if you are someone that this is a tough subject for. But given the circumstances of Leah becoming a part of Jacob's household, becoming forever the substitute, she could have turned her back on him. She could have shut down herself. She could have found ways and means to make life really tough for him. And I'm not saying she didn't, but scripture doesn't record it. Instead, I see a woman making the most out of a bad situation. She creates a home for her family, and she chooses names for her sons that reflect a God who sees and listens and desires the best for his people. For those of us who are hurting, the Leahs among us know that God sees your suffering. He sees, he listens, and he desires his best for you. 
In her book, Running on Empty, Jill Briscoe says, the hardest thing to believe when you are suffering rejection is that anyone is noticing you at all. Yet God noticed Leah. He was with Leah. He listened to her. He desired a connection with her. He loved Leah when no man would. He took away her pain as only he could. God desires to enter into the pain in our lives. Not because we are so good, but because he is so good and he cares for us so much. And he says to us in Matthew 28, 20, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When Leah had her fourth son, she named him Judah, which means praise. And she declares in confidence and full love towards her father God, this time I will praise the Lord. And notice that there's that absence of a wish for her husband. Previously, she had said, I wish Jacob loved me. I wish he would connect with me. I wish giving him sons was enough. But Leah comes to that realization that if she wants to break the power of the big lie in her life, she must embrace the truth that can only be found in God. Leah discovers that she cannot change Jacob. But Leah can find a place of healing for herself in embracing her creator and praising him understanding that God is the one who loves her most of all. The big lie cannot continue to harm Leah when she fully acknowledges that God sees, God listens, and God loves, and then in turn praises him. It's like the big smackdown, right? Truth and action taking on the big lie and throwing it to the ground in Leah's life. What big lie in your life do you need to acknowledge that God sees, God listens, and he wants to love you through it? What big lie do you need to acknowledge that God sees, God listens, and God loves you, and he's waiting for you to praise him, embrace him? You see, the story of Leah is the story of Christ in many ways. The Old Testament points to the New Testament, the New Covenant. Christ in Isaiah 53, it says this about him, and it reminds me a little bit of of what Leah went through and the rejection that she faced. Isaiah 53, 2 through 3 says the prophecy, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in, in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Christ was abused and mocked and nailed to a cross to suffer extreme degradation. Like Leah, his value was questioned. Like Leah, he became a substitute, not through deceit, but through obedience. In obedience, Leah became the substitute for her sister, In obedience, Christ becomes the substitute for us. Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice for our sins by dying on the cross and saying to his father, not my will, but yours be done. As Leah desired for her husband to love her, I am impressed with with her spirit in the sense that she continually reaches out to Jacob in love. And in the same way, Christ reaches out for all of us to know him, to know him intimately. He continually goes our way with provenient grace to say, come to me. 
I have forgiveness for you. I have love for you. I want you all to know me in the embrace that I have for you. As Leah desired for her husband to love her, Christ loves us continually. You see, Christ wants to take the lies of this world, those big lies like warped beauty, material happiness, financial bondage, racism, sexism, whatever it is that is a big lie, whatever it is that you have decided to believe about yourself or your circumstances or perceptions about other people, and he wants to take those big lies and he wants to tell you it isn't true and nail it to the cross. Deception and lies can and will create a deep fissure in our relationships with God and others. But the cross and its power welds it back together. Don't let whatever big lie in your life that threatens to sweep you away and define your life, don't let it take over. Begin today to deconstruct it, acknowledging that God sees, God listens, and God loves you. Praise his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the story of Leah. It's a tough one, Lord. It's a tough one. But Lord, we know that that through your word and through the example of biblical people like Leah and Jacob and and that family, Lord, that that we also can can accept you and and see your hope through, through hopeless situations. And Lord, whatever it is that people are facing today, whatever big lie that they have decided to to know about themselves and say, oh, no, that's the truth. Lord, whatever it is that they're struggling with today, we pray that they can just take it and put it at your feet and leave it there and know it to be a lie and accept your truth, your truth, God, of your love, your wellness, your healing for us, your grace and forgiveness. Lord, if there be any in this service this morning that just need to give you their lives, We pray that they would say to you, Lord, forgive me. Lord, take my heart, take my life. And Lord, come in and make me your child today. In your name I pray. Amen. All joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for letting me share this morning and you are dismissed.